0: Welcome to a new episode of Sports Up. This week, MJ and I are back, and we are talking about UFC and Olympic basketball. Obviously, the Olympics have already ended, but we still wanted to just briefly touch on that. But MJ, why don't you go ahead and kick us off with UFC, who was fighting, what generally happened?
1: Oh Well, the big, uh, the big matchup that everybody was looking forward to was uh, Diaz-McGregor 2. Which I mean, I've been watching UFC for a while, and this was, this was probably one of the best matches I've ever seen. Everybody didn't really know what to expect because I mean, McGregor fought McGregor Diaz won. Uh, McGregor striking got to him early, but Diaz ate those punches and then uh, choked out McGregor. But seemed like McGregor through the early rounds was a little bit more prepared. He dropped Diaz, I think, in the second round. But fatigue started to get to him, so Diaz actually got back into it, and, uh, like, this fight was really close. I know two of the judges scored it, scored it, like, 75, uh, 76, Mm -hmm. and then, uh, one scored it even. I think that it could have gone even. Uh, I would probably give a slight edge to McGregor, but I think this showed a lot more about McGregor's character than everything, um... I know like, his fight with Aldo ended in, like, 19 seconds or something crazy like that. Yeah. And he's kind of known as a knockout artist. But he actually went the distance and, you know, took some punishment, gave out some punishment. And there's this is a new element to McGregor that I think a lot of people will appreciate. I don't think that he should fight at 175 anymore. I think he should go back down to 155. And I think that's where eventually they're going to fight. They're going to fight a rubber match. It's going to happen. But I think they're both. They're going to fight at 155, and I think McGregor's going to fare a little bit better. Yeah. I because mean, he's just more comfortable, you know, not carrying weight and, and whatnot, and at his own weight.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty big difference there for someone to go from 155 up to 175 just for you know this fight, and now he's going to have to work to get back down to what he's usually at, which that might be easier, possibly instead of, you know, trying to put all that weight on and be sure you hit the right weight. But personally, I don't really watch UFC, but I did see, you know, some articles and some highlights from the fight. And it definitely looked like it was one of the better fights UFC has had in a while. And there wasn't any of this, you know, someone didn't pass a drug test and this and that. There wasn't as much drama, I feel like, as the last UFC fight so I feel like this one Ran a lot more smoothly as well Would you agree with that?
1: Well yeah because I mean if you looked at You know the UFC 200 Brock got popped for a test And and, uh, Bones Jones got popped for a test Well Brock got popped after but Bones Jones got popped To where yeah Anderson Silva had to Fill in for him but uh, yeah Everybody was looking forward to this I mean of course because you have Conor McGregor who's arguably, he's the biggest draw in the UFC and Nate Diaz, who we had to avenge the loss. And he did. I think going forward, I think Connor is going to have to defend his belt. And I would say that he would have to, I want to see him and Aldo again. Um, I know he said, well, I've already beaten him. He already knocked him out. It's true. But I think that, I mean, it took how many, it took, almost nine, 10 years for Aldo to lose. And, right. um, I, I want to see a rematch. I think everybody wants to see a rematch of them to 155. I think that's going to be the next big draw, given that we don't know when Ronda Rousey is going to come back. I think Dana White already came out and said that she's probably not going to make the, uh, the New York UFC debut. So, okay. yeah. Um, yeah, that's probably going to be the next big draw, but it's probably going to ha- it's going to happen next year,
0: right? And do you think with a fight like this, you know, McGregor might be more likely to either stay at one seventy five or maybe kind of go back down to one fifty five for the next few fights and then go back up again, or do you think this was a one time thing for him?
1: I think it was, I think it was a one time thing. I think that if, he, if I like McGregor as a, fight, a fighter, I really do, but I think that if he fights a really pure. Welterweight, he's how he how he fatigued in rounds three and four. I don't I don't think that he'd be able to last. Right. Um. I think that he now that he threw he threw himself. He beat you. Know what I mean, he beat Diaz at his weight. I think he should go back down to his comfort zone at one forty five or one fifty five. Um. Fight. Yeah. You know, like I said, fight Aldo. Fight Eddie Alvarez. I don't. I mean, some people have like these dream scenarios where he fights Cowboy Cerrone. That's not gonna happen. Uh, I mean, Cowboy Cal- Cal- Cerrone's way too big, and I don't really see Connor putting on that that weight or whatnot. But yeah, I think his next fight. Yeah, he's got to defend that title, so it's gonna be yeah at one forty five.
0: Yeah, and how many fights do you think he has left in him? Do you think he's going to keep doing this for? quite a while longer or do you think you know maybe it's a few more and then he calls it quits
1: i mean this guy's the big money draw he's already made millions he's probably gonna make a little bit more money right i would say a few more i mean he's ufc career is only lost one fight so like as long as he doesn't get tagged and whatnot he should be fine there's always you know if he wants to go that route you go to wwe and uh do that you know what i mean there's always that lingering challenge from Mayweather that you could always do that too. So he has options. I mean, he's a star. So he goes around the Rousey route and, uh, you know, star movies and whatnot. But I think he's got a few more fights left.
0: Awesome. Well, do you want to go ahead and move on to some Olympic basketball now? Yeah, Sure. Awesome. Did you watch both of the gold medal games for the men and women?
1: Uh, I did. I, I, uh, the men, I mean, it, it it was pretty much what we expected. I mean, they killed Serbia. It was, it was what? Okay. So I was listening to a lot of people talk about, you know, the men's basketball team and whatnot. And, uh, it goes back to something that, uh, I think either one of the Gasol brothers or Luis Scola said said that they've been playing for about 20 years together, which yeah. is which is which is true. Yeah, USA men's basketball team practice maybe for weeks.
0: Yeah, I think they had like a month leading up to the Olympics where they actually had the team together and everything. And I think what had not only myself but a lot of people worried was that in the early games, they were winning by only like three points or something like this, because on the court, it just didn't look like they meshed very well, even though you have players who are on teams together. It's like they just were kind of playing this one-on-one ball every time someone had the ball. And I was either reading an article or listening to another podcast, and they mentioned how Kyrie Irving is a completely different type of point guard from Chris Paul, who's usually the starting point guard for USA. And Kyrie's going to, you know, look for his shot first before running an offense. So with a point guard like that, it's like they weren't getting the passing going early in the shot clock. Instead, everything was, you know, dwindling down to 10 seconds left. And that, then it felt like they were kind of rushing a lot of things so with all of the games leading up to the gold medal match being so close I think some people were worried that Serbia wouldn't necessarily beat USA but would give them a much closer game than what actually ended up happening
1: well in the preliminary round when they first played it was a three-point game yeah so yeah I see where everybody like panicked and whatnot but And and the games leading up to it, they had a tough game against Australia.
0: And France, without Tony Parker, which was, to me, that was a little embarrassing. It's like they're not even playing Tony Parker, and USA was still struggling against them.
1: Uh, The semifinals one was a little tough. They were playing Spain, uh, but they loosened up and and beat Serbia by 30. Uh, What you were saying about about, Kyrie Irving is true. He's a score-first point guard. Yeah, you know what I mean, uh, then you had Clay Thompson, who was cold for a while. Then he came alive in one game, and then Melo, who was Melo, was actually pretty consistent throughout the throughout the entire playoffs. So, um, yeah, everybody just has to take to take into account uh, that we didn't really have a lot of practice time together. I think uh, the did the season just end not too long ago? And then, like, three players from the Warriors, well, now because KD's a warrior and whatnot, right. um, had the report. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's another gold medal. I, I, I pretty much figured that that was going to happen. But you also have to take into account that the world is just getting better. Like, you know what I mean? There's a lot yeah. more NBA players playing throughout the world. I would have never thought that Australia would have gave us a game like that but they did.
0: Right. And while I was watching both men and women, I felt like the women kind of just displayed more composure, I would say, throughout their games because even though they had some new players, a lot of the core on the women's team, like Diana Taurasi, Sue Bird, Tamika Catchings, they've played with each other before. They've been on the Olympic team before. So I think that really helps. And, you know, like you mentioned with the men, you had two players from the Warriors coming over and Kevin Durant, who had gone seven games with the Warriors right before the finals. So, you know, those guys were probably very tired. And Draymond Green didn't really get as much playing time as I would have expected, but that might be for a whole different reason. But with the women, it just felt like they were a lot more of a team than just individual players playing for USA. And I know, you know, they're in the middle of the WNBA season. So basically they stopped the WNBA season to have them go play in the olympics and now the w nba season is getting back on track and everything. So they had like a good mix of younger players with Brianna Stewart and Alana Deladon being first time olympians and those veteran players with the USA team. I think what Carmelo was the three time Olympian basically yeah, yeah. and it's like the, I felt like they just didn't have the same kind of veteran international ball presence that the women did. And I think that's why the women, you know, excelled so much more. And they were beating teams by like, you know, I think their first game they won by like the most points ever in Olympic history. And it was like a 57 point difference or something (laughs) crazy like that. So it was definitely interesting to see the two Extremes basically throughout the preliminary round because you had the men with close games and then the women who just kind of blew everyone out of the water. Basically,
1: I think uh, like with the women, they had a lot. They didn't have a lot of guards. They had, uh like I said, they had Brittany Griner. They had Al- Elena Delle Donne,
0: Sylvia Fowles. Uh, so they, Sylvia had
1: Fowles, of... Stewart, yeah. um, they had a lot of Brianna Stewart. Yeah, they had a lot of tall like. Forwards and, and and centers, yeah. But yeah, it goes back to what you were saying. Uh, like at the guard position, they had Diana Tarazzi. Um They had Lindsey Whalen, uh, Sue Bird. You know, what I mean, Sue Bird is, is a thirty five year old vet. You know, Maya Moore. It's it's a good mix of young and young old who that complement each other. Over on the men's side, you had you had Mello, but then you had Harrison Barnes. I mean, he he didn't really play that much, but like.
0: I don't know if I yeah, sound uh, play at all, really. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think he came in. I think he came out at the end of one game. Uh, you had uh, Kyle Lowry, DeAndre Jordan, Boogie, Kyrie Irving, Clay. Yeah, you had yeah, Clay Thompson. You had Boogie, uh, DeMar DeRozan, Kevin Durant, Draymond, who didn't really play that much, Jimmy Butler. Yeah, so like it seems on the men's side, a little bit, a little bit more of a random assortment of players.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, that's partially because Steph didn't go, LeBron didn't go, you didn't have guys like Wayne Wade. Wade, and you had a lot of players who just opted out, whether that was because they were worried about, you know, like the Zika virus, or they were just tired and wanted to have the summer to themselves. Either way, it's like, I think with the men, they need to find maybe some younger guys, maybe get Carl Anthony Towns on the USA team for FIBA the next couple of years and kind of groom some of these younger players to stick with it like Carmelo has. And then you can get a core group of maybe, you know, five to eight players who stay the same for the next two Olympics and then, you know, start rotating in more of the younger guys who are have a, who have that star potential basically and i think that could really help improve the system the olympics has overall for the men's side
1: well like two two players and and just like looking at the men's roster mm-hmm. uh Kyrie Irving and Klay Thompson yeah Kyrie Irving like i said is a is score first point guard he's he's not really that too much of a passer Klay Thompson Likes to come off screens. He likes to catch the ball and shoot. Yeah. You got you got two people who are, uh, who are oil and water basically. You know what I mean? Like, usually Steph kind of feeds the ball to Clay when he's coming off those screens. Kyrie's gonna look to shoot. He's gonna look to score. So th- I think that's where, uh, yeah, I think that's where you had a little bit of discord, but I, but they got it together at the end. You know what yeah. I mean? Like. Uh, as in like the women, I mean, it's just there's not there's talent. Everybody's extremely talented. Yeah. And I think Diana Taurasi broke the uh three point record in one of the one of the games and stuff like that. Right. But there but anybody could go off, you know what I mean? Like one night it could be Elena Deladon, another night it could be Maya Moore, another night it could be, you know, Brittany Griner or what what not, you know what I mean? And it helps. I think the UConn, yeah, yeah, uh, and uh, the Geo Ariemma thing helps too. Uh, but
0: yeah, I think I think about five or six of the players had gone to UConn. So then you know when you have a third or half of your roster who's already familiar with the coach, that makes things a lot easier because the way UConn dominates for the women in college basketball, it makes it easy to see why this women's team did so well together.
1: Yeah, they just kind of follow the lead. Uh, What do you think about... I think there was some controversy uh, that they don't think that... College coaches should coach one USA basketball team, and that's it.
0: I mean, I know Pop is taking over for Coach K, but I kind of really always liked Coach K as the guy for the men's team because I think he is really good at kind of putting all of these different personalities together and getting them to work together, which I think we really saw in the gold medal game. So I think it shouldn't really matter. Like if someone is willing to coach for two, three, four Olympics in a row, I don't really see a problem with that. Although with you know the women's team, it would be great to see one of the women as a head coach because I think one of the assistant coaches, she coaches a WNBA team. So I think for the women, it's probably more of a topic of conversation since Gino Ariema's the coach. And I mean, at least he does coach a women's team in college. It's not like you have a men's coach coming over to coach the women for the Olympics or just the FIBA tournament in general. But I think it would be great if they could have another woman coach for the women's team in the Olympics. I know it's been done before, so it's not like, you know, anything revolutionary or something like that. It's just a choice that someone is going to have to make at some point.
1: Because the argument here is that uh, Mike Krzyzewski, uh, Krzyzewski, um coaching the Olympics is a recruiting edge. That because he does it, he's inclined to get better recruits. Uh, I don't know if that is necessarily true, uh, but I mean... I'm not sure is is the... Are you chosen the Coach of the Olympus or is it volunteer based?
0: I think you're asked, and then if you say yes, because I forget which podcast I was listening to, because as you know, I listen to so many, but they were talking about how Pop was offered the position to, you know, kind of succeed Coach K once he's gone, and he took some time to think about it. So basically, you're asked by whoever is running it. I think for the men, it's like Jerry Coangelo is kind of the GM or whatever you want to call it for the Olympics. So I think basically he asks the coaches if it's something they're interested in doing. And if it's also him for the women, that I don't know. But it's definitely a offered position. I don't think you can just say, "Hey, I would like to coach the Olympics" and, you know, if you're someone with a not so great NBA or college or WNBA record, you're not going to get an offer most likely.
1: Okay. To me personally, I don't think it I don't think that uh it gives a recruiting edge. I think
0: I don't get how it would because it's like he's coaching guys who already went to college and who, It's the Olympics. It's not like you have college players or high school kids going into college still playing in the Olympics like they did before when it was all amateur players, not professional basketball players.
1: It's like, listen, if if I'm going to Duke, I'm going to Duke. You know what I mean? Like Coach K's resume is going to be enough for me to even choose to go to Duke. So I don't get – I didn't get like the whole – like criticism as oh well he's coached multiple teams and you should step aside because it's an unfair advantage I I don't I don't see it that way but right. I mean maybe somebody else does but yeah. like I said like it's Coach K um all you have to do is name drop and you're like well where do I sign you know what I mean it's not it's Coach K you know
0: just count how many NBA players went to Duke <laughs> you know that's well, good enough
1: I I, well I don't know. Dude. See now, people might refute that and see how many were actually successful. But, um, yeah, I national championships. Anybody like you? Right. Know what I mean, like, yeah. It, I I don't think they're just gonna look at you know the, the three Olympic titles. I I don't know. I I didn't get it. Um, pop is is coach. That should be funny to me. Is yeah, just because it's pop, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad that he won. Not just saying as a Duke fan, but um, I'm glad that he won three. I'm, I'm glad him and Melo, like, you know, rode off into the sunset winning the <laughs>
0: level. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think that about covers it for today. We want to thank you guys, as always, for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.
1: All right. See you guys.